everyone, and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a podcast for SaaS marketers and product people. Today, our awesome guest is Jeff Roberts, co-founder of Outsetta, and we're going to talk about marketing for all-in-one platforms and products. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. It matches the complexity of your customer data, including many-to-many relationships between users and companies. Book your demo call today at userless.com. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for having me. We're excited to uh, have an insider view into this complicated matter today. Yeah. Before we get started, tell us more about yourself, your personal background story. Sure. So I sort of found my way into SaaS startups accidentally. Um, I was actually an English major and sort of focused on writing in college and expected I was going to spend my career uh, working for a newspaper or a magazine or something like that. Got out of college in 2008, right as the economy was tanking and decided I didn't want to be a professional blogger. So I ended up going back to school and got a business degree. And the combination of the business degree and the writing background sort of led me into marketing rather naturally. But I ended up taking a job at a time where I was right out of school and just needed a job for a software startup in Boston. At the time, that held absolutely no allure to me. It sounded really boring, if I'm being perfectly honest. But I just happened to stumble into a great scenario, largely unknowingly, to be honest with you. I was employee seven at a startup that went on to do pretty well and got to lead the marketing team there for five years and just fell in love with with SaaS and even more so with startups in the process. So you've been one of the outset co-founders for approaching like seven years, which sounds like a lot, but... Yeah, we all know that it feels differently. So, what does your job entail, and what does Outsetta do? What is the product about? Sure. So let's start with the product. The product is an all-in-one tech stack to launch a SaaS or membership-style business. So the idea came from this previous software company that I, I just mentioned. Uh, I was an early employee there, and I was kind of tugging on the shirt sleeves of the CTO, saying. We need to implement Stripe because we need a better billing system. We need HubSpot for marketing automation. We need Zendesk for customer support. And we were stitching together all these tools. And at one point, my now co-founder, his name is Dimitri, sort of threw his hands up and said, you know what, I'm an engineer and I'm spending a huge percentage of my time building these systems that we need to support our business rather than writing the actual code for our product. And we recognized that there was an opportunity cost to that. And we sort of looked at a market like um, e-commerce and and what Shopify had done and said, you know what, no one's really built a starter kit that makes it fast and easy to launch a SaaS business or a membership business. Let's go do that. And in the context of that previous company, we sort of built an early version of Outsetta and actually used it uh, to scale the company to about six or seven million dollars a year in revenue. So We sort of vetted this idea on ourselves and then said, let's bring this idea to market more broadly. In terms of my role, I am on a very, very technical team. Uh, We are a team of six today. Four of them are engineers. One of them is a designer who's also pretty technical. 
and I do basically everything else. So I would say my job is a mix of uh, customer support, marketing, sales, and quite a bit of product management as well. Sounds very, very familiar. It's like looking at the mirror and basically <laughs> saying, well, hi, we're also a team of six and I'm also doing <laughs> marketing and sales. <laughs> no, we're actually a bit heavier on the marketing side here. Sure. But yeah, the story sounds very familiar. Definitely. I'd love to hear what your previous product did and the experience you had marketing that versus the experience you're having now marketing this like full-on suite of tools for early stage startup founders. Yeah, very similar and very different in a couple of key ways. So the previous job that I've alluded to a couple of times now, the, the company is called Buildium. It's the word build and then IUM on the end. And it is similarly sort of an all-in-one product, but it's a product that helps residential property managers manage a large portfolio of residential rental property. So think of if you owned like two duplexes that you rented out and you had four tenants, it would be very easy for you to keep track of who had paid their rent and who hadn't. You might get a maintenance request once in a while, but it wouldn't be too difficult to deal with that. If all of a sudden you had 100 properties or 400 properties, it's much, much more difficult to run a business of that type. That's basically what Buildium helps you do. And it similarly came from my co-founder now, Dimitri, scratching his own itch. He literally had like two rental properties in Providence, Rhode Island, and he wrote a basic piece of software to help him collect rent online from his own tenants and then said, this is really useful to me. I think it would be useful to other people. And that was the dawn of that business. So scratching your own itch is definitely a theme in both origin stories. The difference is at Buildium, we were really one of the only players in that market. This was back, the, the company started in 2004 and really took off 2008, 2009, 2010. But at that time, SaaS was pretty much a brand new thing. There wasn't really anybody building software in that space. So while it's similar in the fact that it was an all-in-one product as well and sort of this big platform solution, it was very different in the sense that there was really no competition and the play was really educational. We had to go out to these property management companies and convince them that software was better than using their homegrown systems and pen and paper and spreadsheets and that kind of stuff. So it was really more education focused than like head-to-head -head competition. Right now we sell software to software startups and we compete in arguably the most competitive software markets in the world. One of the challenging things about marketing outside is we are a CRM, we are a subscription billing system, we are email marketing, we are a help desk. So we compete with you know, all the well-known companies across those categories and have to convince them to take a bet on a little known up and coming startup. So that's our biggest challenge from a marketing perspective today. Um Is SEO an important part of your strategy? Because if that is, like the keyword game in my uh, head just went insane. Because are you really targeting all those keywords that people might be looking for? We're not. So this <laughs> is a very, I think, an interesting part of our acquisition strategy. And going back to this discussion about the previous company, the previous company, Buildium, grew largely on the back of a single keyword. We ranked first for the keyword property management software, which is the most direct sort of description of that category. It would be akin to ranking first for CRM software in the markets that we play in today. 
when we started looking at SEO at OutSetup, I very quickly said, you know what, we're never going to be able to rank for CRM related keywords. You think we're going to displace HubSpot or Salesforce or those sorts of companies? No way. Same with email marketing. We're not going to compete with MailChimp. And that was basically the case across the board. So we've taken a very different approach to SEO, I would say. There are some keywords that we target. Um, We do target like membership software a little bit. We do target keywords like SaaS boilerplate, SaaS starter kit, those kinds of keywords that are sort of category-focused keywords, but they're not like well-known categories by any means. But what we've done instead is really say, we're not targeting any keywords deliberately, to be honest with you. And we do rely very heavily on content marketing, but I think of content marketing as an investment in our brand. And what we found very quickly is, and something I love, probably the thing I love most about the marketing work I get to do on behalf of Outseta, I can just write a lot about my experience as a founder. And because we sell to other founders, that is interesting to them. So even without targeting keywords specifically and going after that organic traffic, I just published a lot of content about my experience and what I'm thinking about and the things I'm struggling with and whatnot. And it seems to resonate with an audience of people that also happen to be prospective customers of ours. So all of which is a long-winded way of saying content marketing is our biggest acquisition channel, but it's really not focused on specific keywords in the way you typically would see an SEO strategy. It's fascinating. We've been running a blog that focuses on our own journey for the first few years. Mm -hmm. And every marketing specialist, consultant, mentor would come in and say, oh, no, like, this is about you. You need to focus on something that's for the customer, their needs, SEO keywords. And that's what we did. That's what we're doing. And it's working out. Except that we try to take it to like super high quality level. That's what we're doing different. In your case, what do you think you're doing so special that this peculiar approach is working out for you? Because the practice of the industry says that vice versa, you shouldn't be blogging about yourself much. Yeah, I think it just comes down to two things. One is just authenticity. I've been accused of many things with our content, but the number one one is maybe being too negative about our own experience. Like <laughs> if you read a lot of our our posts, it's certainly there's some celebration of wins in there and whatnot too, but the majority of it is like, here are the things that have been really hard for us that I'm thinking about that I'm struggling with. And I think the reality is particularly in the world of SaaS startups, there's just a lot of founders out there that need someone to commiserate with that are going through a hard time themselves that sort of find inspiration and knowing that others are going through the same things. And I feel like we've been able to build just a relationship of some depth with a good number of readers, just based on the authenticity of the content. The other thing I would say that we've done very differently is almost all of our content is very, very long form written content. And You've heard it a million times, like attention spans Users are shrinking. Users don't read. Users Yay. don't read. We need to be <laughs> making TikTok videos and Twitter threads and this, that, and the other thing. I'm sure there's people that our content doesn't resonate with that aren't going to sit down and spend 15 or 20 minutes reading an article. But those that do, I think, come to know us as a company in a much greater depth. And that's kind of the theme that is most important to me when it comes to marketing and in general, like I'm all in on resonance over reach. I think that's what it's about. It's about 
can you you know build a relationship with a smaller number of people that actually has some depth rather than having this massive following of people that really don't care that much there is some success stories that went well but when people were talking about their journey but that usually is attached to a name like jason mm-hmm. fried or yeah. whoever is like charisma level 2000 sure. you know i'm gonna say bad things about you i don't think you're jason fried just yet <laughs> so not. it's not the specifically the like oh, publicity and charisma that is working so it is the kind of things that you're writing that are working out what do you do about the distribution how do you get the right eyeballs on this content yeah so i, I was saying to you before we jumped on the call i i think one thing that again, it's just easy for us. Like we have a lot of cards stacked against us, but one thing that's easy is we are the persona that we're marketing to. Like I'm a founder of a SaaS business. I know where other founders hang out. So we don't have like massive YouTube channels, massive email lists, anything like that. Really the content strategy, first of all, and people hate it when I say this, but we really don't have like a formalized written content strategy. I try to write when I feel like I actually have something to say that might be useful to other people. I don't like publish on a weekly cadence. I publish when I feel like I have something to say that's worth publishing. It's pretty much all content written on our blog. We distribute it, you know, in relevant communities to SaaS founders. We have an email list we send it to. Really, that's about it. It's pretty darn simple. So content is the only channel. So basically content plus word of mouth is how you're doing it. It's not the only channel. It is definitely the biggest channel. I would say we have a very typical mix of acquisition channels that you tend to see within early stage bootstrap SaaS companies. Um, Content slash SEO is definitely number one by a wide margin. Number two at this point is some technical integrations slash partnerships with complementary technologies. The two really big ones at this point are are Stripe, we're a Stripe verified partner, and Webflow. Webflow is sort of the technology that Outsider is most often integrated with. So we have like listings on their sites that drive us very relevant traffic and that kind of thing. And then after that, it's really affiliates. We don't have any sales team internally. It's 100% product-led growth, if you will. So what we do is we have a pretty aggressive affiliate offer where anyone can create content about Outsetta, throw it up online and make recurring commissions for business that they drive us. But between the the content, the technology partnerships and affiliates, that's like 80 or 90% of our acquisition. Are you not afraid of people compromising your brand as affiliates? I think that's a fair concern. I would say we have very few guardrails in place, to be honest with you, for better or worse. And I think that's more more a matter of just being a small resource-constrained team. We know we have to make some sacrifices in areas of our business being the size that that we are. And one of them is not having a sales team. Another one is we we can't chase after and work with our affiliates super, super closely. I think it hasn't been a huge problem for us because affiliates that pump out kind of low quality content typically don't make any sales anyways. It's a little bit self-policing in the sense that the affiliates that are really successful are the ones that are putting time, energy, and effort into creating really nice content about Outsetta. And they're the ones that stick around that are ultimately visible anyways. What if they start running cold outreach campaigns 
with your like website link included and they're going to ruin your domain reputation with email providers and other horrible stories. Yeah. <laughs> my view. We haven't run into that yet. We've definitely had, I think anyone with an affiliate program has encountered instances where affiliates are advertising on their brand name and whatnot. And we've certainly run into some of that and everybody, you know, pretends they don't know like they're doing the wrong thing until you call them out on it. But ultimately it's pretty easy. Like we use Rewardful for our affiliate program. We can disable affiliates if they're doing anything sketchy pretty easily. But to your point, there's there's certainly some risk there. If we look at your product business as a whole, the fact that you're a on an all-in-one platform, what are the complexities? What are the specific challenges you're fighting there? Yeah, the biggest challenge is convincing, and, and particularly when we're talking about software engineers, convincing them that they should change their behavior and sort of buck what has become the, the status quo. And what I mean by that is, we do sell sort of to two markets. We sell to SaaS founders, and then we sell to generally less technical founders of membership websites. But particularly with the SaaS founders, you know as well as I do, the norm is to sort of stack together all of the best-in-class technologies that you can. You use the Zendesk for support and the HubSpot uh, for marketing automation and Salesforce for CRM and Stripe for billing and ChartMogul for reporting or whatever it might be. And that's just how the SaaS industry has grown up. That's how it's done. And frankly, maybe it's not too big of a problem because SaaS founders do typically have the technical skill set to build those integrations and support them and maintain them and all that kind of stuff. But we're coming in and first of all, something that's fairly unique is there really isn't another outset out there today. The closest thing HubSpot has sort of morphed in some ways into what we are, which we could talk about if you want to. But we're coming in and saying, here's this different approach to building a SaaS company that you probably haven't considered. You know what a CRM is. You know what an email system is. You know what a help desk is. Here's why it's important that those things are delivered in the same platform. Here are the efficiencies around speed to market. Here are the efficiencies around running your day-to-day business. And here's how to quantify sort of the benefit of those efficiencies. So it is almost an educational play in some ways. And it's not for everybody. What we've found is, particularly on the more technical side, we have customers that fall into two buckets. The ones that sort of get it are either the founders that are constantly launching new products where they understand sort of the importance of speed to market and they want to focus on the product piece to get MVPs out the door and sort of test their ideas without Seta. The other one would be typically CTOs that are just like, I've done this before and I've I know the amount of work that goes into building a tech stack in an early stage company. And I recognize I should be building product and not doing this. Let's start without Seta. And if we outgrow you at some point, so be it. Those are really the challenges we need to overcome. You have multiple jobs to be done. You're solving. Are you trying to educate your customers on how to do all of them best? So basically, UserList does email marketing. We do a lot of email marketing education. In your case, you have that, but multiplied by 10. Do you even try to improve their ways of doing things? Yeah, I would say a couple of things on this topic. The first one would be people come to us and buy because of authentication and payments. Like that is the core of the product and everything else we offer is sort of wrapped around it. The the CRM, the help desk, reporting, et cetera. Um, So the initial job to be done is I need authentication and payments for a SaaS product or a membership site. That's where the journey begins. 
Beyond that, as opposed to what I think you do more of a user list, I would say we are not selling, here's how to do the absolute best email marketing possible. We are selling, you're an early stage company. Here are the things that really matter. And here's how you can get them done fast and efficiently and know that that's not impeding your growth, even if you haven't sort of optimized each particular job to the you know 101st percentile. So it, it is very much a speed to market. Uh, let's get this idea out and live and start to grow with something good enough type play. And I think what we find beyond that is when we're selling to experienced founders, they understand the speed to market and then they start you know, optimizing all of their email campaigns and their support processes and all that. And they sort of understand the jobs to be done and don't need that education from us. It's our less technical customers and particularly the people on the membership site side that don't come from the SaaS industry, that don't know that they should be thinking about things like extending customer lifetime value and reducing churn and what sort of programs or processes you can put in place to do those things. So we play a much more educational role in those types of businesses, I would say. How do you find your competition being with uh, the giants like Intercom and HubSpot? And <laughs> yeah, there are multiple ways to say good and bad things about them. But yeah, the, sure. uh, the writing's on, on the table, sort of. We still all compete with them. Yeah, we definitely do. I would say for us personally, like Salesforce is not a competitor of ours. They tend to be used in, and not always, but tend to be used in larger companies, I would say. We do get evaluated against Outseta fairly routinely. And I think a lot of people that either don't understand HubSpot or don't understand Outseta come to the logical conclusion that we are competitors. And to be fair, there is a ton of overlap where you know CRM and billing and help desk and marketing automation, all these sort of feature sets are the same. But the way that I speak to it and the way that I, I really believe it to be is we are very intentionally targeting the lower end of the market that HubSpot does not want to. HubSpot will not tell you this, of course, but being a you know publicly traded billion plus dollar company, whatever they are, their real business isn't taking a $10 million a year business to $100 million. We want to take a $0 business to $10 million. So I think um, we're just sort of serving the lower end of the market that they're not interested in. And I think the other thing is HubSpot does serve a much broader series of businesses or types of businesses. We are very focused on subscription-based businesses. So if you're an early-stage subscription business, Outset is going to be a better fit for you, frankly, I think. And you know, if you grow a $10 million a year company, you may very well actually graduate out of Outset and onto something like HubSpot. And that's totally okay with us. We want to get you there as quickly and efficiently as possible. Credit where credit's due. I think you do have authentication and billing while HubSpot and Intercom actually don't. So you cover a wider range of needs, do you? The authentication bit is 100% true. Yes, that is a differentiator, certainly. The billing bit, HubSpot has actually released HubSpot payments just in the last year oh. or so. Not a lot of people know that. They haven't heard a whole lot about like how much adoption it's gotten or anything like that, but they do have a payments product in the market now. And in a lot of ways, like we just set out from day one with this vision that the value of our product was going to be delivered by being an all-in-one tech stack. 
HubSpot sort of grew module by modular into that all-in-one tech stack. So we, we took different approaches to get to a very similar place just with us playing down market and then up market. In terms of growth strategies, both HubSpot and Intercom are known for their generous startup programs slash plans when for like under 100 bucks per month, you get everything you want until it expires after 12 months. (laughs) We have many of those people flocking to us, for example, do experience similar things. Absolutely. One of the bigger just sort of drivers of our growth, I would say, is, is people reaching the end of those startup programs and realizing that suddenly they're going to have a $3,000 a month HubSpot bill and they look at Outseta and say, you know what, you might be uh, missing a bell or whistle here, but instead of $3,000 a month, we can pay you 100 and have comparable functionality. An all-in-one platform comes with a multiple layer of integrations that you need to execute in order to get the business off the ground. Mm-hmm. So you have to like connect your domains... Yep. Do many other things, install yep. the backend integration. Yep. It probably does other things. What are you doing to make sure this is smooth? Yeah, it's really hard. That's one of our biggest challenges and actually something we're working on as a, a team quite a bit right now. We've got the entire team currently going through our signup process as a customer actually would, and we're having some customers do it as well. Always trying to make onboarding improvements because it is hard. I would say, you know, it's not onboarding into an email tool or a CRM or a billing system or a help desk. It's onboarding into all of those things. So the things that we've really focused on to date, and we've made a lot of progress in this area, I think, but it could always be better, um, is really focusing on the authentication and billing first. That, as I said, is typically what drives the buying decision and what needs to be implemented first. So it's you get into your account, you connect to Stripe, you set up pricing plans, Um, you implement authentication. And once that's done, there's some work there, certainly, but we've made all of that pretty easy. Once that's done, your site is sort of operational. Somebody can come to your site, they can sign up, they can log in, they get sent wherever you want to send them after they log in. And everything from there becomes sort of tooling on top of that engine to manage your business day to day, the CRM, the email, the help desk. So the, the billing and auth focus is sort of what we focus on in onboarding. That is super smart. I'm seeing two little strategies there. One is picking that narrow scope that defines like the starting point of being yeah. successful. And another one is being close to the money. It's always good, isn't it? Yeah, like absolutely. once somebody is in for your billing, they're more or less more or less in and stable, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. A cool thing about our business in general and, and also the the negative side of it is in selling to startups, we have relatively high churn because a lot of these companies don't work out. And that's always going to be the case. That's something we sort of have to plan for in terms of running a viable business. But the flip side of this is if you we can onboard a customer effectively and they go on to have any sort of financial success, our churn rate is close to zero. People don't leave because their entire business runs on our product. So it's very, very sticky in that sense. The sad part, though, is once they get to wild commercial success, they graduate yep. from your platform. Yep. Do you observe that they graduate because they just like, on all fronts, this sucks, I want something professional? Or is it uh, they migrate something uh, off first and something else first, and then they're ready to move on? 
I think it typically comes and it varies. It depends a lot on the, the company sort of when they hit this point or what the impetus is. But I think it typically comes, let's say it's a $5 million a year business. Let's just use that as sort of an arbitrary milestone. Eventually, you get to a point where you're really expanding your team and you're hiring like VPs that have worked in other SaaS businesses that want to come in that have relationships with technology software vendors that they prefer and like, and they want to start using those more specialized tools. I think that is ultimately it. It has something to do with the size of your team growing and specifically like VPs coming in with more specialized needs than they get out of the all-in-one platform that Outsetta is. One benefit you're surely getting, I don't need to ask about that, is expansion revenue because as the businesses grow, their bill grows with them, which is yep. great for you as well. But tell us more about your monetization strategy and billing in general. Like, What do you charge based on? Yeah, we've used our own product to do a ton of pricing testing. This is something we've invested a lot of time and energy into. And I'm pretty happy with the model that we have, all things considered. So the basic idea is our pricing moves on two dimensions. There is a monthly subscription fee. And then we take a 1% fee on successfully processed payments. So what we basically do with our subscription fees is we're artificially cheap. Um, a plan starts at $39 a month. That's sort of our entry-level plan, and they go up from there. But the play is essentially saying every plan comes with every feature. So you're getting CRM, email, help desk, uh, reporting, all these other things that we offer for $39 a month. Um, and that's not a per user fee. That's the total subscription fee. So if you compare Outseta to other software tools that you would have to buy to replicate our functionality, it's an absolute steal. So we're sort of saying, here, have it. We're going to charge you, I don't want to call it a token fee, but it's in a lot of ways a token fee in comparison to other tools. Where we then make our money is on that 1% payment processing fee. And the sell there is we're giving you these tools because you are an early stage probably bootstrap startup at an artificially low rate, and you'll pay us more money as you start to grow. As you start to grow, you know, our 1% fee grows with it. So that's kind of the pitch. And the truth of it is our interests are aligned with our customers. Like we really need to help our customers grow because if they don't grow, uh, we, we don't grow. And in general, that, that has worked pretty well for us, I would say. And the other part of it, there's kind of two other important parts, I guess. The subscription fee itself grows based on the number of contacts in your CRM. So basically the, the size of your database. Um, you know, if you have 100 people in there versus 50,000 people, your subscription fees are different. But the other bit is a lot of people hear about the model and they say, yeah, I don't want to pay you 1% forever. That, that isn't scalable. That's something I'm not comfortable with. And this is where we have a little bit of a secret advantage. Um, that is really hard to market, but uh, it's true. And once people see it, a light bulb kind of goes off. So pretty much every other billing company out there today, certainly all the membership software providers, they're using Stripe billing under the hood. And what that means is they're creating subscription products in Stripe under the hood. And what you don't know is any product that does that is also charging you for Stripe billing. So Stripe billing is another a half a percent to 0.8% on top of Stripe's transaction fees. 
Then if you're using Stripe's invoicing tool, you actually pay another half a percent for Stripe invoices. There's all these little fees you don't recognize are, are in that Stripe bill unless you actually go pick apart the bill and look at what you're paying in terms of fees. We do not do that. We actually started the company largely because Stripe billing didn't exist six, seven years ago. We built all of our own subscription management, all of our own invoicing. We are not using Stripe billing under the hood. So yes, we charge you 1%, but that's actually usually lower than what you would be paying in Stripe fees. And once people sort of are seeing that or, or realize that, the concern over the 1% fee tends to fall off pretty quickly. Well, that's fun. That's definitely fun to know. Yeah. I also didn't know that he can do that. Yeah. This is the crazy part, though. So the, the normal membership software provider will charge a fee like Outsetta does. It's usually higher. It's usually like 2% or 4%. Then you pay Stripe's transaction fees. Then you pay for all of these different Stripe products, Stripe billing, Stripe invoicing, Stripe tax, whatever it might be. So in reality, with Outsetta, you're typically going to pay, if you're in the U.S., 3.9%. If you're in Europe, it's 2.4% uh, per transaction. Whereas with the opposite, you're usually paying like 2 or 3% more than that without even recognizing it. But the reason that people don't recognize this is people understand Stripe's base transaction fee. That is shown at the transaction level in Stripe. You can go in and see that you know, 2.9% or 1.4% taken off. But then the other Stripe products, Stripe billing, Stripe tax, Stripe invoicing, they are billed at your account level monthly. And then the other fees that like other membership software providers or subscription management providers take out are taken out at the transaction level as well and called application fees. So there's these fees that are spread out in three different places, which makes it almost impossible to actually see the effective amount of fees that you're paying in any one place. Uh, and no one realizes this until you actually show it to them on their bill and they're like, oh my gosh, I am paying a lot more than I thought. So one of the things we've done and are, are really trying to like push on and demonstrate as much as possible is we send you a bill at the end of the month that shows you all of the fees that we're charging you. And it's a big number in some cases for successful businesses. And it probably doesn't help us that we show that big number, but what you're probably paying is actually a much bigger number. They just distribute it out in different places so you don't see what it is. Sounds like exactly the game all other financial <laughs> institutions like yes. banks, banking fees yes. are playing with us, right? Are there any other platform all-in-one businesses that you're watching and like admiring secretly? as in how successful they become. Like, I will, yeah, I will start this question. list with Basecamp. Uh, mm -hmm. They, 10 years ago, they were, I heard an interview saying like, it's amazing how we did it with like unifying all in one. Tool. Yeah. Any others? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, it's hard not to admire what, what HubSpot has built. I mean, I'm sitting here, sitting on top of this rinky-dink SaaS company where HubSpot's a, a billion dollar business. So they're doing something right. And uh I've always, like, I was a customer of theirs for years before we started Outsetta, and I, I think good things about their, their product in general. Um, but I would say the all-in-one products that I really love are, like, the all-in-one products in these small industries that nobody knows anything about, where there is very little competition, much more like uh, Buildium, the company I referenced at the beginning of the podcast, Dan Outsetta. There was one, I went to MicroConf 
in Denver earlier this year and was talking to founder of a company, I'm drawing a blank on the, the name off the top of my head, uh, but it was home inspection management software. So if you sell your house and you need to have a home inspector come in and inspect your home, they've got an app to help you do that. Um, they went from like zero to $10 million a year in ARR in four years. Um, just finding this really small you know, industry, I think there, there's like 40 or 50,000 home inspectors out there in the US that represent the entire target market for this business. Uh, but I, I love those stories. I love those little businesses that um, are seeking out these non non crazy industries like the one that we compete in. A fellow bootstrapper of ours is running um, roaster tools for coffee roasters. There you go. Yep. And that's insane how the technology, like the technology, the process of roasting coffee involves multiple calculations that, and then like batching and everything that. Yeah are really, really well facilitated with a software product. So I'm really always also admiring how they do that. For sure. As we're wrapping up today's episode, can you tell us one do and one don't when it comes to marketing bigger platforms? Ooh, when it comes to marketing bigger platforms, good question. I just called you a big platform. <laughs> <laughs> I would say one do and something I think we definitely got right that was so helpful to us early on was use illustrations if you can to convey what it is that you do. I and mean, I know we're on a podcast, so it, it's hard to show it, but every year since we started, we've hired an illustrator who's made an illustration where on one side, there's a very stressed out SaaS founder who's got like a tech stack on top of their desk of HubSpot and Salesforce and Zendesk and Intercom and ChartMogul. And they look stressed out and, you know, they're sweating. And on the other side, there's a picture of a founder using Outsetta who looks very calm and collected and like they've got their, their shit together, so to speak. So that one illustration from a very early stage did more for us in terms of helping people sort of get it when it comes to what we're offering than anything else we've done from a product marketing perspective. People said, I feel like that stressed out founder. I feel like my tech stack is duct taped together. I feel like zaps are breaking all the time. I want to feel like the founder that is on the outside of side of the picture. So if, if you can use some sort of visual to help bring these sort of more complex ideas to life, I would say definitely do that. The thing I would say not to do, I, I guess, is less about being a platform solution, but more about being in really competitive markets like we are. This is becoming a more common theme. I, I've heard other founders say too, but I, I think it's really important. If there's something I did wrong, it was going out and trying to sell Outsetta too early. And the reason I say that is we are in these hyper-competitive software categories Everybody has experience with CRMs and email marketing platforms and help desks and billing systems and all of that. And I would go out and I would get on a demo and I'd show an early version of Outsetta. The truth of the matter was it was a really basic email system or a really basic billing system. And the customer would just sort of shrug and say, okay, there's 25 products out there that are better than this. I get that you're offering you know, three or four modules, but why would I use this? And the person saying that back to me is, Absolutely right. Like the thing that really um, has driven our growth more than anything is just our product maturing and getting better and closer to feature parity with all those tools that we compete against. 
And I think I would start selling later and aim for something beyond an MVP. I think Jason Cohen calls it like a simple and lovable. Minimum lovable product. Minimum lovable product or something like that. I I think that's very right if you're in a competitive industry um, and is, is something I would advocate for. Thanks so much, Jeff, for joining us today. It's been great to have a sneak peek into your mindset. Where can people find Outseta and where can they find you personally? Yeah, Outseta is, um, it's just the word outset with an A on the end, outseta.com if you want to check us out. Uh, and I am easiest to find on Twitter. It's at uh, Jeff, G-E-O-F-F-T, Roberts. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your week. You too. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at userless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving a review on iTunes. <laughs>